Hi, this is Tony Lloyd. Interviewing people for many years has made me realise that everyone has a life story to tell. Be they sad, amazing or even inspirational, I want to bring as many human stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Rita Wright, welcome to Human Stories. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for calling me. Now, um... You've got uh, quite a traumatic story to tell, which may uh, help other people listening to this on the podcast, about your daughter, who, your daughter Anna, who sadly took her life in 2019. Um, and so it would be very inspirational if we could find out, in your words, uh, basically what happened and, and how you coped and how you recovered, if indeed you have, and so on. So... Um, basically, uh, can you tell me what happened with Anna? Why why did she take her life, do you think, and how did she do it? Um, yes, hello uh, to everybody listening. Um, this is a story uh, about my daughter taking her life and how I've dealt with it since. I've actually learned a lot, really, about Anna and our relationship since she died. But she had, Anna, to, to tell you quickly that Anna was an extraordinary girl. She um, she was very sensitive, but she was also very clued up. She was one of those children people call an old soul. You know, she was quite an introvert, but she took everything in around her. Mm. And she suffered with social anxiety from, from a child. Uh, her teens were traumatic because she was bullied and she developed anorexia. Uh, fortunately, uh, we got help quickly, which I'd say to anybody with an eating disorder, nip it in the bud. Mm. Uh, and by the time she was 18, she was having a great time at university. She got a BA honours for art and design. Wow. Uh, her yes, her collection was shown in London, student, London Fashion Student Week. And she worked in Delhi on some uh, designs for high street outlets. So she actually, after having a very troubled childhood and teens, her 20s were really good. And then she kind of sunk back into uh, depression and that triggered the anorexia again. Um, but again, she fought against it. She came back. Uh, she moved to Paris. And I believe, and this is what helps me quite a lot, Anna took her life when she was 37. But I think her coming out of the anorexia again in her 20s, which allowed her to have that old confidence back that she'd had before when she was at university, yeah. and she moved to Paris where she was quickly taken on board by the uh, bohemian artists in Montmartre. She ex exhibited work with them. Uh, she found love and laughter. And that last 10 years, I believe she wouldn't have had if she hadn't had the strength to come out of the anorexia again. Mm. But when she was 37, she, we'd all had a terrible time in the family loss of grandparents, uh, loss of cousins that were very young. And uh, Anna started really this, 
when somebody is has got suicidal tendencies, they think they think the world outside is bad, and they also think what's inside their head is bad. So they can't find any goodness anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel bad inside your head, but the world around you is okay, you can fight against it. You know, you, you, there is enough strength to come back. Same as if the world outside, like the pandemic, the pandemic and the war that we have now. If, you're, if your mind is strong, you can deal with those images that are being thrown at you. But when you've got inside and outside bad, it's really hard mm. to fight your demons. Sort of overwhelming, um, overwhelming then for some. Overwhelming, mm. yes, overwhelming. Anna said to me three months before she took her life, she said, I don't know why you had the news on, Mum. She said, because it's all bad. And I think it's all going to end very soon. And uh, so we started watching movies and stuff. And But then uh, a few months later, she'd gone to stay with her father in uh, Hailing Island. Uh, he has a house that uh, is on the seafront. And he has a, he lives in the flat, him and his girlfriend live in the flat above. And Anna was supposed to be spending the summer in the apartment underneath the house. She went very depressed because my mum and her grandmother had just died. So I thought the fresh air and being with her dad would be good. She she was back from France because uh, she wasn't sure if she wanted the relationship with the French man anymore. She'd found Paris overwhelming after living through the terrorist attacks there because they were in the, they were caught up in in all the terrorist attacks. Uh, personal people they knew were killed in the Basque clan, and so she came back to England, really not thinking the world was a great place. Mm. So one day uh, I had a phone call, and it was a week after Anna's thirty seventh birthday, and I'd seen her and we had dinner, and there was nothing wrong. I couldn't. I couldn't, I thought she was doing well. She ate her meal like she really enjoyed it and she didn't worry about what calories were in the food. Um, she she was kissed with the sun because she'd been on the beach with the dog and swimming in the sea. But her dad rented out the flat and she had to move out and she moved into one of the houses that he'd just bought and was up for sale. And Anna said she felt like a goldfish in a bowl and everyone was staring through the window. Mm. By this time, I think her mental health had gone right down. And I got the phone call the week after her birthday. The words were just, Anna's hung herself. Oh, God. And really the world spun... Um, my eldest son arrived quite quickly, and but when you get that news, it your legs go, everything goes, everything really does spin. Yeah, and, and I can honestly say the year after the year after she died was a year when I contemplated taking my life many times. Mm. I always had in the back of my mind, I've got two sons, I can't. Mm. 
Yeah. And Anna wouldn't want me to. No. And this is where I think I'm hoping the book that I've written, this is where I hope I'm going to be able to help others because I document all the way through how I felt, how awful anniversaries were, mm. um, how she comes to me in dreams. Um, and I ended up going into therapy and I, th I think it's probably necessary if, if you lose a loved one from suicide. But I'll tell you one story that uh, was that really made an impact on me yeah. that I'd like your listeners to hear. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a year after, uh, so after the first anniversary of Anna's death, I really was, what, didn't know what, what to do with myself. So I, I went into therapy at the local priory here. And I did group therapy, and everybody else was younger than me. Uh, I was the oldest in the group. You know, I'm a grandmother, and, you know, I've been around a lot longer than they have. Mm. Uh, most of the others, some were, were military people, who soldiers who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. and there was quite a few um, people with addictions. And I had to give my story, as everyone had to when they arrived. And I was telling the story. I couldn't speak how I'm speaking now. I, you know, I couldn't make any eye contact. And I told them what I've just told you. And when I'd finished speaking, the room was silent. And then I looked up and then everyone just burst into tears. And this young girl who was in the American uh, army said to me, so many times I, I've tried to take my life, I never dreamt my mom would be upset how you're upset. And I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years and I'm going to leave this room and go and phone her. Mm. And, then, and then another chap said, I tried to hang myself and the rope broke. <laughs> and... Yeah, uh, and he said, my mum would be going through what you're going through, mm. uh, and I'm going to get well. And it really was a, a powerful moment that showed me that, that connecting with people, um, communicating with others that are in a similar situation, mm. is is it, it's it's one it's paramount. You have to connect, you have to share, you can't be alone with your feelings. Yeah, very powerful. I mean, it's it's totally unnatural, isn't it, to for a parent to lose their child yeah. because yeah. it should be the other way around because <laughs> that's what normally yeah. happens. You yeah. know, you get yeah. old, you get old and yeah. you die. That's that's yeah. life. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other I, way around is really unusual and shocking. And I I really have come to the conclusion that God never meant it to happen this way around. Mm. And so he didn't give us any defences because yeah. it really is. that There's nothing in my life that could ever compare with, with what, you know, and the images, your imagination runs wild, the images, yeah. how was she before, you know, and you have the inquest and everything to go through. Yeah. Uh, but suicide, you know, it has to be said, it, it, it's, it's epidemic. It's it's worldwide. It's just growing all the time, yeah. and especially amongst men. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, uh, twice twice as many men um, commit suicide than women. Right. Um, and the isolation from COVID has has really put up the numbers. 
How do you think uh, you coped? So you say you had therapy, um, obviously professional help, but how did you mm. help yourself after your daughter's death? I just had to stick with the feeling. I, you know, if I went to bed uh, uh, and I put out my arm behind me to hold her hand, which sometimes I used to when she came to stay, uh, I just had to bear the pain. Mm. I had to cry. I had to get through it. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you, there's no escaping grief. You, you, but don't be alone with it. Mm. Always have somebody on hand, uh, and a friend, uh, of course, family is, is the ideal. And I have to say, um, Anna's younger brother, uh, they were very close. They were close in age and they were, they were, they were close. Um, looking after having Billy to have to take care of him, you know, I had to find a reason, a reason to stay alive. And so writing the book and setting up Anna's foundation, which is now a registered charity, um, and knowing that I can help by talking in schools, talking in universities, um, prisons, that, uh, that's what's kept me going, mm. keeping busy, focused, staying with the pain. And, you know, many people, you, you can drink to try and drown it. I promise you it's the worst thing to do because you, the drink just depresses you more yeah. and, and puts you in a state of being out of control. Yeah. And you have to stay with your feet on the ground, otherwise you just whiz off into orbit. It just really is the most horrendous thing. Mm. Good advice. Um, so um, you mentioned the, the, the Amma Wright Foundation, which you've set up this charity. What's the aim of that uh, charity? Obviously, to to okay. help people who are yeah. at risk of um, of suicide. But uh, yeah. what what's the well, I decided to. Uh, I did my research on other charities that are out there. Um, you can never have enough charities mm -hmm. uh, on on any subject, really. And I, I've called it the Anna M. Wright Art Foundation. And because art was her voice, art was her passion, um, the, the drawings that are in her book and will be shown in an exhibition later in the year in London, um, there you, you can see by looking at her drawing and her art what was going on inside her head. She, she used to have the, the internal saboteur, she called him, and she drew him and really intricate stuff. So I've decided to focus on art and creativity. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go into schools and actually speak with art teachers, uh, ensure that they, because I am a, a qualified therapist. Um, I worked in London hospitals for about 15 years. Um, and I'm going to take on board on the charity another art therapist and another counsellor. And so we're going to help people recognise in the fair child draws a picture that the art teacher can recognise that, okay, this child, there's something dark going on in their head. There's yeah. some anxiety. There's some worry. I see. Because, That's brilliant. Yeah. So, because... Because people who are depressed are nearly always creative and and really almost 
genius some of them you know there's the autistic spectrum where there's tiny tiny details and i don't know if anna was ever on the autistic spectrum i never went there with that but looking at her drawings you can see she had some autism mm. and then i connected the anorexia with the autism you know with my research which is why i said i learned more about anna anna's mind really yeah. and how her mind worked afterwards yeah. i said to my goddaughter what's your art teacher like and she said oh so i said so what do you do in art she said, oh, usually she puts something on the table and we have to draw it what an opportunity missed oh, yeah. if a child can draw from their imagination yeah you you'll see you'll see the troubled child so if you go into a school and you get the art teachers to to do what you're suggesting then what happens yeah. what happens then is it up to the teacher to take some sort of action to investigate the possible problems with that child or yes uh, do they pass yeah. it back to you or what happens well they they can in the this is new for me this i've never run a charity before but i have now got a firm idea about the creativity uh and the creativity bringing out what isn't spoken. Um, I, I want the art teachers to refer back to me and then I can refer on and make sure that the child or the student uh, gets the right help. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know, in art therapy, honestly, it can be just like you can go in, you can say, okay, what's this you've drawn here? What's that? What's that? Uh, and then get that child to speak what they put on the paper mm. and once the child has spoken about whatever their anxiety is whether they're being bullied trouble at home um social anxiety like anna had once they verbalized it especially at a young age that's it you've nipped it in the bud yeah you've got somebody to communicate covertly uh, overtly instead of covertly in a picture yeah. that could just sit there and the teacher doesn't realise actually this child is in, in dire straits. Do you think that um, this could save people's lives? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do. Because with everything, it, we get such a chance, say when a child's between 10 and 14, uh, and then again 18 to 24, we get such a chance to rework through um what's troubling us what we can't deal with what we find hard to cope with mm -hmm. and learn coping strategies uh cbt cognitive behavioral therapy is what can be used to help uh, give the tools for somebody to voice their concerns and once it's out in the open you can deal with it yeah inside it just festers yeah yeah. So yes, lives. Yes, I. I wouldn't be uh, using all this energy up if I didn't think that this was a worthy uh, charity, a worthy way forward. Brilliant. How can people help? Listening to this, help. How can people? How can people listening to this interview help the charity? Do can they donate or? Oh, yeah, yes, the charity's just been set up. I've got a charity number now, and um, uh, they could contact me by email. Okay, um, or, or can they go to the website and contact you that way? might be better. 
the website is in the middle of being put together. But okay. if they go to if they go to www.annawrightart.com. Okay, and right is with a will, W, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yes. And uh, they will see Anna's story. They will see her drawings, and they that it probably will make more sense what I've been trying to say here as well. Uh, <laughs> well you've, you've been very good. You've been amazing. I haven't, had to, I haven't had to ask you many questions. You've explained everything beautifully. <laughs> oh, once I start. <laughs> <laughs> There's no stopping you, Rita. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll, so, put, um, we'll, put, we'll put the website on the text that goes with this uh, with this podcast. Now, tell me about okay. the, tell me now about the book. You've written a book called Under the Fig Tree, Time to Go, One Last Coffee. Tell me about the book. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay. Um, this writing this book probably saved my life. It was it. It was again. You know, I I've just been telling people things about art and bringing things out into the open by me writing all my emotions down. The first draft of the book was very cathartic. Um, then I then I decided yes, I wanted to publish it. So. Um, it's called Under the Fig Tree um, because Anna loved Montmartre in Paris, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, she has smashes buried underneath the fig tree in Montmartre okay. Cemetery. Wow. Uh, yeah, she her ashes are here um, in England, but I just took a little tin. And I just dug the earth away with my hands um, because she used to sit in Montmartre Cemetery with her book or her, her art sketchbook, mm. um, sometimes just with a coffee. And um, it was a place that she found really peaceful and she could hear the bells of the church ringing up the road. And she, these were her happiest, happiest times. Mm. And so I had to make sure a little bit of her stayed in Montmartre. Yeah. And um, and the time to go one last coffee was um after I'd collected her ashes from the undertaker. Right. And um we were driving the car and I was driving the car with her next to me in the passenger seat and George Michael was playing. And I hadn't been able to go to Costa Coffee or Starbucks or anywhere since she died because I used to go with her and it was just too raw. I had to look the other way when I walked past a coffee shop. Yeah. So I took the ashes with me into a coffee shop and put them next to me and had a little chat with her. I've had a coffee and I said, uh, okay, time for me to let you go now. Yeah. So, um, what the book is so the describing book, all those emotions and those feelings. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's 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 describing everything in detail at the beginning of the book about her death mm. and what it was like being a mother whose child had taken their life with all the stigma and the blame and the shame and and then the sec the centre part of the book is about her art and design and her good days and, and how successful she was. And this this has got a whole gallery of her art in the centre. And then in the third part, I revert back into my kind of therapist head and I speak about uh, anorexia nervosa and um, 
bulimia, eating disorders, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and how how to for somebody who is a parent of of a child who's going through those difficulties can can recognise them and get help early. Yeah, brilliant. And then yeah, and then I have a, a list of other charities and other books and other reading. And um, yeah, you, you, there's no way around the grief. You have to go through it. You do, do. But when you go through it, make sure you've got somebody around you, at least someone. Because it's very hard to pick up the phone, actually, when you're depressed. It's yeah. very hard to even answer the door sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I know this from my work as a therapist. So there has to be somebody around you. Even if you say to them in a good moment, listen, if you don't hear from me, would you you pop round because it's hard for you to, to to reach out Rita thank you so much for talking to me on Human Stories I know it can't have been easy to tell us your story about poor Anna and uh, wish you all the best for the future uh, especially with the foundation the charity the Anna M. Wright Art Foundation and also the book Under the Fig Tree um, thank you very much once again take care you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Tony. And I hope I've helped. If I've helped just one person, then that's a good job done. Human Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that they'll inspire or help others. Get in touch if you have a story to tell. If you or your organisation would like a professional podcast series to reach your own audience, or if you'd like training so you can do it yourself, I can help. Go to TonyLloydRadio.com. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd.